This week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast is brought to you by ArtBase. Are you managing a major art collection but still using something like Excel? Isn't it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, ArtBase is the right software to manage your art collection. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks in an easy-to-use, powerful database. Enter your data once, and then you can use that data to generate professional insurance value reports, loan forms, shipping forms, and so much more. They've got a brand new version coming out this month with a fresh new look. So go to artbase.com to learn more or to schedule a demo, and be sure to mention Art Tactic for a 15% discount off the entry fee. That's artbase.com, A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com. Thanks for listening to the Art Tactic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Green. Hope everyone's doing well and staying safe. The world is starting to slowly open up, which is a great thing, as long as everyone's taking the right precautions. For the art world, it's fantastic to get emails from galleries around the world about the reopenings, even if in certain cases it's by appointment only. And I'm happy that artists who have shows up now or about to open will have the opportunity to actually exhibit their art to at least a limited audience in person instead of only virtually. So we'll keep monitoring the art world and report back on more openings And I'd also love to hear from you. I'm based in the U.S., but if you're in any other parts of the world, DM me at at Adam Green Art Advisory. I want to hear what the art scene is like there. Is everything still closed? To what extent are galleries and museums back open? In this week's episode of the podcast, we're joined by Kwong Bo, owner of 1969 Gallery, a gallery based in downtown Manhattan that I know very well. They represent and show several young emerging artists, including Cody Brown, Christina Bonbon, and others. We wanted to have Kwong on to chat with him about how a smaller gallery is managing its way through the COVID-19 pandemic. We also discussed generally the economics behind a small gallery and really how it fits in and how it can prosper in the current art market infrastructure. It was a really enlightening and entertaining conversation, so I hope you enjoy the episode. Kwong, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing? I'm okay and stable here in Northampton, Massachusetts. Yeah, you mentioned to me that you aren't in New York City. When did you leave? You know, it's interesting. I left on the Saturday during Armory Fair when so many people called me to say that they were uh, changing their flights to leave early because the traffic to the fair just wasn't the same. And uh, we had done really well with the exhibition we had hung during that time. And so I decamped to Massachusetts, not knowing that I would be here for what's been essentially past, you know, eight weeks. And like so many other galleries, we've been moving online. We've been working remote. We have Zoomed. We are meeting um, through all different kinds of um, technologies to try to just maintain the business. Wow, that's incredible foresight to leave that early. I feel like you were one of the first. I remember a few days before Armory, I was discussing with a collector just the idea of wearing a mask at the fair, and they said, no way. They'd rather not go than be seen in public wearing a mask. And we've really come a long way in such a short period of time, haven't we? Absolutely. 
Well, so many, there, there were three phone calls I got from three gallerists in Europe who were at JFK airport telling me that they, they were about to leave and early. That was the first clue of like, well, if the, and they had reported also a decline in the traffic through the different fairs. And I guess I noticed this when I went through Independent, which is a fair I love. I got so much attention from people. I think because <laughs> there wasn't really that much traffic. And then it was it was a bit heartbreaking because I care a lot about my peers. But sure, uh, quickly and then eventually it all just went to shut down. And I do think that um, the fairs are going to be very seriously impacted by this over the, the remainder of the year for sure. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of unknowns there. So right before the armory, you left the city and you haven't been back and the gallery has been closed. I want to get a sense of how the pandemic impacted 1969. Once you were forced to physically close the gallery, what were some of the next steps that you took to continue on as much as you could? Sure. Well, I, we are a team of four plus an intern, and we immediately moved everything online. And, you know, working in a gallery is a, a lot of administrative responsibility. And so to not be next to each other, to help each other move these things through easily was already the beginning of like the fallout and problems of working remotely. But um, we had actually had planned after uh, our show during Armory an exhibition of three artists, which then dialed back to one artist, Logan T. Sabrell. And surprisingly, we did very well. And I think it's just a testament to the team as well as working with someone so cooperative like Logan that we just we managed to push through sales online using Artsy platform. And at one point, I, I did make one 24-hour trip back into New York City to do like a health check of the gallery. But I also Zoomed with a collector and was trying to show up close using video that this was not what he thought it was, but someone with a hand holding a pen writing a letter. <laughs> there was a confusion of the Im- imagery. And I said, I just, if selling online was hard, I said, how will I ever sell over Zoom? But it, it did work. And I, I do think there's also a spirit within the art world uh, of collectors who are like, well, uh, I may change my buying habits, but I'm going to do this and buy that to support, especially younger galleries. And um, we just, you know, we're about to open Christina Bonbon's exhibition on Sunday, May 17. And um, that's a heartbreaker, too, because a solo exhibition by a represented artist is just about the most important thing the gallery could do. So that it's virtual by appointment through mass. And it's it, it, there's something I realized in this fallout about the intimate personal nature of the art world the way that we do, whether we need to show up or not to buy a painting, that we want to, to support one another. And so all that has fallen out in a way. And um, I can say that working remotely, because the team is divided between New York City, California, Providence, Rhode Island, and me in Massachusetts, um, you just have to be that much more careful with the administrative uh, matters and being prompt. And, And that's just hard, especially when you factor in how anxious all this is making us. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I agree with what you're saying. And I noticed it as well with the online fairs, for example, freeze New York, which just occurred. I browsed the fair at home by myself. I talked to some clients, but I realized about halfway through, I'm not conversing with the galleries as I'm viewing the artworks in their actual booths. 
I spoke to a lot of them leading up to the fair, as I normally do to get previews and things, but it's really that dialogue during the fair that's really missing from this virtual online experience. And in general, during this pandemic, I've had to rely a lot on the personal relationships that I've built over the years. And I think relationships, trust, in-person interactions, that's very important to be able to function and do business during this kind of environment. I'm curious, what's your perspective on that? Well, sure. I mean, Adam, you know, we work together and I would never sell you a lemon, right? So if you ask me for my opinion about something, I'm going to give it to you in the honest ways in which I can. But that also depends on my being able to have seen it, right? Which is a kind of like not always possible now. And sure, you know, I can honestly say that what I didn't know that I would miss is the life of a gallery. When we are open Wednesday to Sunday, 11 to 6, all kinds of things happen when people walk through. They either meet each other or something happens in the relationship. And you're right. It isn't just about standing in front of this and, and immediately somebody saying, wow, this is more colorful, bigger, more, 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 more than I ever thought it would be online. And, you know, that tipping point, that, that affirmation of taste, all those things like, Kwong, when did she make this? And I could tell you, well, Christina, this is the first painting that Christina made. And it's about her family. And it's about her family not being able to come for the opening because everything has been canceled. The backstory of the painting is also what gives you the relationship to the gallery and to the artist. This is all kind of possible, yes, over the phone. But we in the, the visual art world shows up for each other and also to see things because that's how it operates. And so there is a loss here. It's certainly less fun. You work with younger artists, priced $25,000 and under. At that price point, how has demand for that art changed during this pandemic, if at all? And You know, it's, it's hard to know, and I'm not a prognosticator to predict what might happen in the art market the way that you're starting to see. But I will say at this price point, maybe it's more possible for collectors to support a gallery and artists at emerging prices. But the buying patterns of collectors have changed out of necessity. Some of them aren't even working anymore. Some of their companies have completely folded. Some of their houses are on the market. Um, and this, this of, of course, impacts the art market because it's perceived as something that isn't like one of these fundamental necessities. And I think the, 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 the luck, but also the kind of um, support that we've gotten from our collector base is, is something I'm not going to forget. During this time, people who are good to us we will remember them because it has been a way to maintain the business. And, you know, we did get payroll protection program. Um, and it's so strange to thank the U S government for <laughs> maintaining the business, but we really did need it. And being able to forecast and believe that not only could we pass the summer, but we're going to try to be on hanging on whether through all of this to be able to support the artists that we represent. And, you know, our roster is half a dozen. And so we're able to work very intimately and personally in, a, in almost a matchmaking way, whether that's which fair might we apply to in 2021 or which collector do we want to call up and say, look, you've been waiting a long time and the, the, sh the waiting list has thinned out because of the virus. What do you think of this painting? So it's, for me, no less intimate. It's just much more challenging to even just convince people. But I think in a way the work can also speak for itself. Um, collectors have to keep collecting in order to be collectors. And so they want to. 
And if it means also supporting the business, that seems to be just an added incentive right now. Um, but I guess after three and a half years of 1969, it is a question of whether you can maintain, never mind grow, when the price points sit at this level. I don't really know what's going to happen with um, the retail prices of the art market at every level. I think we're all just waiting to see that. And I don't know if there are bargain hunters. I don't know if people are seeing opportunity inside of these kinds of moments, which we have experienced before. But we try to stay stable and steady, working one-to-one. And I'm, I sound like I'm bragging. I'm more like I'm relieved that the Bon Bon exhibition is sold out. Um, that is remarkable for me during this time. It is. Any exhibition that sells out during this is an incredible accomplishment. We've talked a lot outside the podcast about the art world, and I know you're really passionate about the economics behind a smaller art gallery and how difficult it can be given how the art market operates. So I'd love to pull the curtain back a little bit and talk about some of the aspects of owning a smaller gallery with emerging artists, whether it's talking about building a collector base or art fair expenses or filling an exhibition calendar. I don't know. Where do, where do you want to start? The floor is yours, Kwong. <laughs> I want to start about my nightmares where I picture myself standing in the unemployment line. <laughs> I talk about me and my landlord on the phone trying to support each other. I talk about these incredible moments where, where people don't realize because it's hard to see the business of a gallery when you walk in. It's a blank white box with X number of things that exhibit and you don't know how the business is actually functioning. But I can tell you in our case, um, um, my team worked really, really hard, and I'm not being cliched about this, but it is very laborious. Behind each artwork is a whole timeline of things that must happen. That's one thing. The second thing is um, I have been able to uh, keep my overhead and my administrative expenses to within a kind of like um, stable minimum. But it makes it harder to try to think about that next step when a mom and pop becomes mid-sized, which I know is a point of failure for so many galleries. And it's a question of what, what, what is between where I am at, three and a half years, and the big and bluer galleries that seem to be now cast about internationally and franchising. Uh, there aren't that many great examples for me. And I can say that most of the people I know who open galleries do it out of a genuine love for the individual artists that they want to support and promote. And unlike maybe X number of years ago, now we are all, not, we're not naive. We know that it is about business. We know that it is about fairs and online and all these things. And, and, and I'm very committed to being in the gallery during an exhibition because that's where I feel like the visitors come. And it's my assertion in this exhibition, in my white box, is my proposition for what I think the future of art history should look like. And I want to be there when people visit to talk about and um, explain why I feel that. That's why I opened the gallery, not only to assert that, but in a way to contribute to the future of culture. Yeah? Um, so it's difficult also because maybe artists also, they know more, but they don't know completely the picture of things. And so when you work with an emerging artist, there's a lot of like beginning and learning experiences. And in a way, we've grown together with our artists. That's what allows me to keep them. And um, we are, we grow and change in relation to what they might need. 
you know? So Christina, to go back to her, she's incredibly uh, amazing at her Instagram, at her online possibilities in the ways that she's very passionate and, and sensual in the ways that she, her practice, all that's transmitted from her out to her audience. We inherit that. And it's a basis for how we have succeeded in, in promoting and presenting her show. So it's very cooperative, this relationship between gallery and artists. And my forecasting is that as they grow, we grow. And we are an entity that is bigger than, in a way, any individual artist that we're working with. Everyone we work with inherits everything that we do. And that's the kind of like slow, organic development of 1969. And, and I can say that there's no magic solution um, that our growth and our stability is dependent upon lots of littles. Many things are happening. And those things, as they continue to happen, help to fortify and stabilize the operations. Yeah, a few hours before we started recording this, I was speaking to a collector actually about Instagram and specifically about an artist who didn't have an Instagram page. They had had one and they were getting bombarded by people trying to buy their work directly from them, DMing them, and it was just too much of a distraction and so they decided to deactivate the account. And I said, I think something like Instagram, it's it's really important to an artist's career, in particular to a younger artist who's still making a name for themselves. It allows you to expose your art to more collectors and also connect with your followers and fans and have a dialogue with them. And even if the artist isn't personally interested in doing something like that, I don't know, they should just hand over their account to their gallery and let them manage it. Because Instagram has become such a valuable part of the art ecosystem at this point. It is. And it would be uh, foolish to deny that it doesn't actually result in a lot of sales. There are things that are people seeing on Instagram, they call us up and they want to buy it. And we work almost retroactively to sell it, you know? Um, and sometimes it's so important, but we keep a good inventory and we want an archive for the artists we represent. So it, like, I want to see it before it leaves me, you know? And uh, it's amazing that that is really the testament to Instagram, but it is not a basis from which to build a longer lasting career. It may result in a lot of sales and attention, but it isn't necessarily the only thing that you need in order to build a career. And I think one of the things about working with artists and the relationship with the gallery is that we keep our word and our promise. No artist that we have worked with has ever sold out from studio, out from under. That, that just doesn't happen. And I think no good collector would ever try to skip an artist that is represented by a gallery because, well, okay, early looks and first dibs is your privilege. You don't need to cut the gallery's share out. And the artists that we work with are very understanding of that because they realize the value of what we add to what they do. But um, artists are, are our original social distancers, right? It yeah. took this virus for me to understand that so many of them go to the studio all alone, don't see anyone, and at 430 cry out from hunger pains and run to the Exxon gas station to pick up a package of beef jerky, right? Like that would be a way to explain how socially hard it is. And then suddenly you have this, you open your Instagram and thousands of people have liked something that you're doing. And that conversation is irresistible. What is important for an artist to understand is that we're not in a reality TV mode in the art world that way. I really don't like necessarily an artist to be influenced because so many people like it that they're going to take a whole painting in progress in this particular direction 
when in fact it really is about sitting with your ideas alone and seeing how that comes to its own fruition. So part of what we try to do as galleries is create this kind of like community almost where we are also in dialogue with an artist about what we think are great works that should be exhibited or sold or actually just leave it at the studio until it has a more maturity or you rethink maybe how you want to do this. You know, the taste and filtering responsibility of the gallery is something that an artist over time working with 1969 and others can slowly come to appreciate more. You know, because sometimes people online, they just love it because they love you. Like, I love you, Adam, so I'm going to click a heart <laughs> no matter what you're showing. You know, I want to <laughs> support you. you. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's great. I didn't say that. I said, I love you, Adam, not the crap that you're seeing in the studio necessarily, right? Like, uh, it's, it's everyone's fair opinion. Um, and that's what's so great about it. It's a very democratic process. I like that. I don't like that. I think this is great. I think you're great. All those opinions. And, and in a way that leads to passion. Like, I really, really love that. That's the art market. Yes, you've raised a lot of good points. If I learn about an artist who's selling directly from their studio, I view that as a negative. I value galleries and their expertise and their ability to help an artist's career grow and to manage that career. That's a gallery's expertise, not an artist's. And so if the artist and the gallery aren't working together and on the same page, to me that's a troubling sign. It should be a partnership. Also, I just wanted to go back to what we were discussing before. You talked about 1969 and your aspirations of growing the gallery maybe one day into a larger space. I think this pandemic has actually been quite tough for these mid-sized galleries who've spent a lot on rent, staff, marketing. And at that higher price point, it can be difficult to sell in this climate, especially for artists who maybe aren't as in demand by collectors. There is something about the personal nature of the art world, which is now that 1969 has become known as one of the strong programs for figurative painters. And the collectors who collect that show up. And then they also recommend to us artists that they think we should look at. And then we ask artists that we work with, well, who else do you like and look at? And that referral system is really important. And, it, and it's why I focus a great deal on sincerity. Like when I ask, I really do mean it. What do you think or who are you looking at? And I think maybe in this next um, iteration of the, the art world, we're going to see hopefully more a spirit of, of collaboration because that's the difference between, let's say, like a, a nonprofit and a for-profit, um, the difference between collaboration and competition. Now, we really do need to try to figure out if, if this is a moment of correction um, and if there's ways to win by coming together. And I go back to Christina because she's are on my mind a lot this month, but we're doing an incredibly ambitious two gallery simultaneous joint exhibition of her works with um, Albert Benda in Chelsea in spring 2021. And um, it's a, those are two big gallery spaces to fulfill. And, sh and she's really starting already to think about it, but I really like the international and the institutional connections that they have, which are small galleries slowly developing, but nowhere near what I think is there. So Thorsten and I have been talking pretty regularly already about this. And I do think that it's not only that he and I are bored out of our minds, you know, <laughs> inside yeah. of quarantine. Like I love my boyfriend. I love my dog, but I have to talk to somebody else too. <laughs> um, that we have, that we have this idea and that we are trying to support each other as well as an artist that we both like. 
So maybe there'll be more of this spirit of collaboration and cooperation. And I think what was already happening, particularly in New York City, with the kind of move over to Rebecca spaces and things, as leases come up and things, there may be just a, an uprooting of things. And I think Chelsea and the Lower East Side will always be a part of this kind of art ecology. And maybe there'll be a, a, a you know, a kind of growth in the Tribeca area, just as there had been in Harlem, just as there was on third floor spaces on the Upper East Side. It's incredible that the New York City art market churns as quickly and as many as it does. Um, and that's what makes it exciting and the possibility of coming back, however many, I hope every gallery reopens its doors, however many, it's, it's going to hopefully churn a little bit more together. And uh, maybe those fairs that allow for two galleries to exhibit together in a booth, that might become very interesting as we start to figure, figure out how to uh, cost share things. Um, and so this is the new way for me of doing business. It is not this radical transformation because I do think the, the white box is this maquette for the eventual museum. That's what it is. And that's why that model hasn't been replaced in every iteration of a um, failure in the market what always comes back is the gallery space, you know? And I think, I don't know of any artist who just dreams of being online. That's right. just not the case. That's just not the case. No. We want to be inside of space and volume looking at things because that is where and how they are supposed to be. Right. So it, it's a, the value that won't ever um, leave us. So I guess I'm optimistic every day. I have a kind of like sense that, I'm too proud as an immigrant owning a business in the Lower East Side to ever let it go south to the point where I might have to think about closing. That's not me. So it's going to happen. And it's just these new different kind of moves and collaborations that I'm talking about that I think that we're going to not just weather past this time, but it may be a very interesting way to start to do things. Yeah, you have that chip on your shoulder that's driving you <laughs> and you have all these different ideas. I have one as well. I think a lot of people do. And the different concepts mm. you're talking about, new ways of doing things, I think is one of the bright spots from this pandemic. I know no one really knows when things will fully reopen in New York City, but tell me what you have planned at 1969 for the future. Just to start almost immediately, on May 17, we open Christina Bonbon's solo exhibition. It's online. It is virtual. We're making videos and photography and so forth. And we are open by private appointment. And that comes with a lot of different CDC guidelines about how to enter the space. And fortunately, our space is, is, is built out in such a way that it's, it's simple for us to sort of keep the distance and be there while people are looking. It's not many at all, but it is a chance for us to do this private appointment and just to see how it works. I have to say that it is not me to look at people behind a mask, barely hear what they're saying, not able to see them smile or read an expression, because that's how I look at how they respond to the art, you know? Um, yeah. And so it'll be a, a new way of, of how are we supposed to understand and read the feelings that we all have when we, when we go to see something, you know, you can always tell when someone's excited about a painting, they almost walk into it. It's so bodily, but behind all this and all this protection, which I believe me, is a very important and one that we're hearing to is this loss of this kind of human touch. Um, it's, it's why I love the art world. But after that, we applied to the Untitled Art Fair. They're being quite nice and generous and, and tuned in to what is happening. And we hope to be there um, in December again. 
Um, this is a subliminal message to that selection committee. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but in terms of, <laughs> but in terms of our exhibitions calendar, and look, this is what I have learned, and I'm just sharing it because it's such a an experience. Nothing you could read in a textbook could c- convey the experience of how far out you can realistically plan an exhibitions calendar before something interrupts it. And uh, if you go out past a year, it's not a given, because we have had many things on docket. Never mind the virus interruption where an artist just isn't ready and or we're not ready or the work isn't ready or the market isn't ready. And I realize all those things have to align for there to be a quality and um, uh, exhibition. But we have um, in the second half of summer, we're doing 10 painters who are graduating from RISD MFA. I'm very excited about working with them because this is the first time we've done something with RISD and um, they are excited too, as a kind of fallout of what happened when the campus closed. But we're doing this neat thing where we ask each of the 10 to pick a mentor. And then we're asking the mentors to help us pick the work that we eventually would hang. Um, and so that's an exciting one. In the fall, one of my colleagues at the gallery, Madeline Ehrlich, makes her debut as a curator with a three-person show. And that's going to be exciting because the fall slot is, in a way, for me, the most important one. And we're giving it all to her as well as to these three artists. And on November 15, we are going to open, uh, uh, you know, the gallery's two spaces. So in the front gallery, we're doing for the first time an artist in Mexico City named Maria Fregoso. Uh, We now represent her, and I love her. She is a sweetheart, and she is so talented. And you look for these variables when you're working with an artist. They're not always there, but she's so good about talking about her work. She's so nice to be with. She paints perfectly. I mean, all these things line up and she is coming to New York City for a residency that will result in that uh, exhibition. And then in January, we have Anthony Cudahy, who would have graduated from Hunter if everything was normal, but because it's not, who knows? But it's his true solo postgraduate school. And um, we're very excited about both his progress, but also how the work that he's making um, will be post-virus. You know, Adam, there's a lot of work being done right now that has a lot of anxiety in it. And if you're a figurative painter or an observational painter, you can look at your boyfriend, your dog, and your home for only so long. There's so much of that work that's being produced. And what's exciting for me about Anthony is the source material, the the absence of quote-unquote writer's block and his productivity it's going to be really great. And he's been thinking about this for a solid year, which is really how long it takes to pull together a solo. Um, and that's January. And then in March, um, I wish I had pulled it in time to tell you to announce it, but it's one exciting painter uh, and then a collector who's going to help curate a kind of context exhibition for him. Uh, he's an artist that a lot of people are excited about, but, but, but I'm especially excited about him. So, um, We've got it mapped out that far. Into May, we're doing Karen Brennan Hinton, another artist that we represent. Um, and each time we construct these things, it really is like the curatorial creative enterprise. We can't just present the latest paintings by this person. We have to do something bigger. And um, so it's a great, great next year for us. Wow, you really do plan it out of your head. That's right. Yeah, you have to do it that way. Well, it sounds like an exciting next year. You'll be opening up Christina's show shortly by appointment only. 
And even though it isn't the ideal way to view art and for you not to be able to see people's reactions, at least it'll be nice to see people, even if you can only see in their eyes. And for them, it'll be a nice escape and a real visual stimulation to finally see some art in person. It really is a positive note to hear that a gallery in New York City is going to open soon, so I'm really excited to hear that. Kwong, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We really enjoyed hearing your perspective on how you're managing the gallery, especially during the pandemic, as well as how it just fits into the broader art world. If our listeners want to check out Christina's show or follow along the gallery's program, what's the website they can visit? It is 1969gallery.com. It's uh, And all the information, including images from past shows as well as this current one that were open, is already posted online. Perfect. Thanks so much again, Kwong. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Take good care. Thanks so much for ArtBase for sponsoring this week's episode of the Art Tactic Podcast. Are you managing a major art collection but still using Excel? Isn't it time to bring your collection management skills up to a professional level? Well, ArtBase is the right software to help you out and manage your art collection. ArtBase allows you to track your artworks in an easy-to-use but powerful database. You enter your data once, then you use that data to generate professional insurance value reports, loan forms, shipping forms, and so much more. They have a brand new version coming out this month with a fresh new look, so now's the perfect time to visit ArtBase.com to learn more and to schedule a demo, and be sure to mention our tactic for a 15% discount off the entry fee. You can visit ArtBase.com, that's A-R-T-B-A-S-E.com.